Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Kirk Your Enthusiasm. I am joined once again by Iztok Franco. You know him from his work last season at MavsMoneyBall.com. This year, he has done all the work for D Magazine and their sports vertical. Iztok, how are you doing today? Hi, Kirk. Doing well. Doing well. Hot up for the playoffs. Let's yes. Watch. Yeah, so let's go. Are you going to get, so it's a noon time Dallas time game. Will you be able to watch this this game one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watch this live, so it's seven o'clock p.m. here. So. Oh, that's ideal. Okay, yeah. okay, because you know these these games that start, it's like you know my favorite are the overseas fans who message me where it's like, look, I I I stay up until like four in the morning to watch this game. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I don't do that anymore. I just wake up early in the morning and then I watch it. I'm and then you can fast forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I try to, although I mostly watch it like slower, not faster. So. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and that's a nice transition into directly what we're going to be talking about today. So uh, we're recording Friday the fifteenth. I'm probably going to post this a little later this afternoon. We got word from uh, the Athletics uh, Sham Shrania yesterday that Lucas essentially doubtful for game one now the mavericks have not committed on this local media has not committed on this it feels like there's a bit of an information war at play with luca but i think in terms of analyzing this series we have to go with the information we have and you wrote a a nice piece on how uh luca or i'm sorry how the lucaless mavericks can can survive and like you know, I, I've read your work for, you know, two years now, and a lot of your stuff, you know, you put together over a period of time, and you had to write this one pretty quickly. So was this something you had been sort of looking at from the moment that he got hurt, or is this is or is this something that you wrote kind of over the last, like, you know, 36 hours? No, we are thinking a little bit about this, even before the series, and this is what I wrote in the post, is the non-Luca minutes are going to be important, uh, any series, but this one especially. So then when we saw the news, we okay, said, with Mike, our editor, let's pivot. Let's, let's try to see because that's, I think, especially game one, game two, if that happens, that's going to be really important. I think for the Mavericks to kind of, like we talked before we started recording this, how can they still win, at least one? And I think if they still won and then Luca can go, that's in game three. I think they will be okay. So let's just sort of start with, with kind of a broad question. When you're playing without Luca, which, which side of the ball are you more concerned about? Are are you, do the Mavericks have more to figure out on the offensive end or more to figure out on the defensive end? I mean, I, the answer to this yeah. is kind of obvious to me, but I'm just, yeah, I'm just curious for your thoughts. Like you said, the obvious answer is, of course, the offense. And I wrote mostly about it in my post about what do they do on offense? How do they make Jazz adjust? Because the plus is all about how can you make the other team to start adjusting. And a lot of what I wrote and I posted today on Twitter was how to get Jazz out of their, let's say, default drop coverage, playing Rudy off ball and just patrolling the paint. Mm-hmm. And Mavericks did that with Luca and White Powell. Uh, this is the stat that I posted in the article. They were like the most successful du- pick and roll duo against the Jazz in the regular season. That's Jeez. why we saw. That's why we. It's a small sample, but we saw it. Uh, that's why we saw so many 
uh, Rudy switches on Luca is because they were just killing that drop. So on offense, that was, of course, that's the main thing. But the defense, I would say, because I did like a deep dive, I think three weeks ago for the D Magazine about Luca's defense. I think Dallas still plays better defense without Luca. That's something I don't think we should hide from. And I think it's not, it doesn't mean necessarily that he's a bad defender. It just means that they have better defender than him. But the less tricky part, or I said less obvious part on defense is Dallas will want to play small, right? So they'll want to play small against Gobert. Hopefully that means Maxi plays well at the five, or otherwise I think they will go with Dorian of the five. But it's kind of Luca that unlocks that because he's so big and it allows them to play him like a four on defense mm -hmm. with his size and rebounding. And this is the part that I think that maybe it's not so obvious, but might hurt them on defense because it's a little bit different playing small if your point guard, point guard is 7'6", 230 pounds right. than, than if it's Jalen Brunson or Spencer Divinity because that's really small then. Well, that's kind of kind of curious to me because I I really hope the Mavericks don't stray from what's worked because yes, Luca running the offense is the key, but as we've seen in these these moments where it's Brunson and and um, Dinwiddie, I don't think they need to play a second big. Do you think they will try like Dwight Powell, Maxi Kleba lineups like it's you know the early part of twenty twenty one? I don't think so. No, no, no. I think they will spread it out. To me, the key part is, and this is something that I think it's the first thing that I watch on offenses. Can they make, can they play against Rudy in pick and roll, in drop? Uh, so with white power. Because I think the Jazz, what they realize by now, they cannot put Gobert on Dorian Finney-Smith or on Reggie Bullock anymore because they'll hit the freeze. So typically when Powell is in, Gobert will defend him and he'll drop back and they will try that. So to me, and against Luca, this is very difficult because he's so methodical. He will get on his hip. He will either score or you will see Powell lobs all over again. So they will, mm -hmm. start, start, they will need to start helping. But while Branson, and I posted this on Twitter as well today, he's top five in the league in scoring against the drop coverage. So really elite. But he's not really utilizing Powell in the same way, or let's say bending the defenses. So they have to help, they have to tag Powell from the corners, things like that. And then it creates all kind of chaos uh, with corner trees and such. So this is to me, how much Powell will play depends on how good Timothy and Branson will be utilizing him as a vertical threat. Yeah. I... Go ahead. And, sorry. Yeah. And if this doesn't happen, then what's the next move? Who is the next guy? Mm. Is it. Uh, Probably Maxi, they will start with Maxi. But if he's in the same funk that he was before, you have to move on. And then there are basically three people on the bench. I think without Luca, he has like an eight-man rotation with uh, Maxi, Joss Green, and Bertans on the bench. I don't think maybe he'll try with Milikina or Burke, but I don't think so. Nope, I don't think so either. Well, and so I have a couple of thoughts. So my first is that Luca has spoiled us rotten on making these lob passes to Dwight look easy. Spencer and Jalen can't throw these passes. <laughs> like Spencer is actually quite bad from the uh, passes I've seen him try to make on these situations. And Brunson, I think can make them. I just don't think he sees them, but 
my my follow up to that is that you know one of the things that that it, it's a very small sample size relative to the All Star break, but Spencer's actually been remarkably good from the mid range. And like you mentioned before, Brunson is actually quite incredible scoring from the mid range. So it, it's a little ironic to me that. And, you know, you and I, when we talked to like the very start of the season, we were all a little worried that like kid, you know, a lot of what the Mavericks were taking were like mid range shots. Like they weren't getting to the rim. They weren't shooting well from three. And so they're having to take all these tough mid range shots. And now with the kind of shots that might be available to them, are these mid range shots that we all don't love from a, like an efficiency point of view. So it's, it's the chess match of this series without Luca is really interesting. And I wonder, you know, what what is what kind of pace do the Jazz play with, like offensively? No, they are a slow paced team, and this is something so, that, yeah. Are we going to see like just like in like ninety to ninety five kind of type scores in this game? Like it's going to be slow. I don't know. Maybe this is what one of the other things that I highlighted. Kind of, I think what we saw with Jason Kidd, and if you listen to him carefully during the season, he said. It's like a lab. He was test, testing different stuff. And I think he's not, he's, he will not be scared or he will not wait to try something really strange and things don't go Merrick's way. And one of the things that I saw in the data and especially without Luca, is maybe Dallas can play much faster because Utah is a sneaky bad transition team, defensive team. Interesting. They're top, they're top six in half-court defense but they are, I think, 22nd or below 20 in transition defense. And a lot of time, especially Whiteside, is really bad because he's crashing the glass. Same with Rudy. And when I, when I watched film, Bertans, for example, is one of the best transition players uh, for the Mavericks this season. He and runs he so stinking hard. Yeah, he runs. And if he's like a small boy five or if him and Dorian are in the game at the same time, they just don't know who to pick up. So he, he made a lot of threes in transition, these early shots. And Branson is good in transition. Um, Reg Bullock's data is very good in transition this year. Same is from Branson. So I think this is one of the things with without Luca, especially at home. I think if the crowd gets behind them, if it gets really, let's say, uh, up and down hectic game, I could see Merrick's try with that because this is one way. If you are small, how you can punish, uh, let's say, uh, Utah on the other end. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm it's that's what makes the the fact that Luca's not playing so disappointing because it's really kind of covered up um how interesting this series could be from a from a just you know how these two teams play. Um and you know the, the I had no idea, for example, that Utah wasn't very good in transition. So yeah, you wrote twenty third in transition in their piece. Like twenty third, my goodness, that's like last year's Mavericks. That's impressively bad. Um and then, you know, the the stuff that you had talked about, you you get into this, and this is, you know, Josh and I talked a little bit about this in our show, and I don't know, like, one of the things I hate discussing is feelings in basketball, because, like, we watch sports for the emotion and stuff like that, but when you have all this data available, sometimes you don't really want to talk about the fact that teams just don't look good, because it's hard to put numbers to that. However, <laughs> you managed to put a number to what the Jazz are doing net rating by quarter since the start of the year. This, this is remarkable. I'll let you kind of talk about this for a second. Yeah, I think some of their collapses, especially I think since late March, they lost 
against the Clippers when they were up by more than 20. They lost to Phoenix when I think they were in the fourth quarter up by 16. They lost to Golden State when they were up more than 20 and I think more than 15 in the fourth quarter. So this is the data that's basically about how bad they've been in the fourth quarter. And the whole year, I think they're bad in clutch, especially Mitchell. He's like 30%, 33% from the field in the clutch. So one of the things I think when we are talking about how can the Mavericks win one of the two games is if Luca doesn't play, is just try to keep it close. And mm-hmm. we'll see if the Jazz will revert to the hero ball that they were in the fourth quarter during the last two months. I think, and this is also what I wrote in the piece, I think losing Joe Inglis kind of hurt them. You know, he was like the culture guy there. He was he's very good at moving the ball. He could involve Rudy like a secondary pick and roll handler. And now I think when you watch them in the fourth quarter, especially, I watched the Phoenix game, I watched the Golden State game. They became a lot like we talked last year about the Merricks. They just watched watch Mitchell, what he'll do, you know? And teams start switch against them. So because their whole offense is predicated on a lot of the picks, I think they've set the most picks, uh, so screens in the whole league. Uh, So they try to get you in the rotation and teams start to switch in the fourth quarter. And then it's when it gets stagnant because there is all this debate. Can Rudy punish the switch versus the small? And he cannot even do it because they don't pass the ball to him. So <laughs> this is the whole thing. So I think this is one of the recipes for the Mavericks to win one of the, the, the two games is just try to get them close and hope that uh, Utah don't do better in the fourth than they've been doing in, during the last two months because there is tons of pressure on them, especially mm-hmm. without Luca. I think this team with Danny Ainge now in charge with the new owner, with all these rumors that Quinn Snyder, I don't know, he was rumored to be the next coach of the Lakers, uh, Rudy Donovan, I think they'll have a lot of pressure because if they don't win this series, I think they will, there will be a lot of changes there. That's uh, the pressure, and, and this is where we're, you know, what Jalen Brunson would describe as vibes is, is, really, is really something. They're going to come into a Dallas stadium that I hope is just crazy, you know, you you went to five or six you know Dallas games in a row at one point earlier this year and you can speak to this sometimes the crowds just aren't great there's a lot of artificial stuff going on but I think like the the feeling in this crowd is gonna I'm really looking forward to Saturday now I do have um one more thing I'd like to kind of ask you about Donovan Mitchell has got to be such an interesting player to look at his data uh because his playoff data you know you only get you know, like 14, 15 games in, in, in when looking at like the total, I guess it's more than that for the past several years, but the past, like the bubble. And then last year we saw a guy who just shot the life out of the ball. Like he, it, and then, you know, against the Mavericks, he's actually been pretty poor. So in, in, you know, from what little data we have understanding that there's not a ton do you think it's more indicative of of how the Mavericks are able to play him on defense with a couple of big switchable defenders and Dorian and Bullock, or have the Mavericks just kind of been beneficiaries of his having off nights recently? Uh, I think it's kind of both. I think in the second game, so the first game they played, because the, the first game this season was Christmas game where Luca didn't play and Dorian didn't play. 
So the second game where they played, he was having like a really good shooting night. So they started with drop in Powell and he could hit like a two, three off screen uh, pull up freeze. And then I think he shot like seven of 12 on 13 uh, on freeze and he had a really good game. But in the second and third game, Dallas did what they do against basically everybody this season, every good scorer. If you look at Jason Tatum, I don't know, Mitchell, all these guys, Curry, they put two on a ball and there are others to beat them. So this is the part of the Dallas defense that I'm not worried about because we've seen the whole, the whole year, they will do it from the start. They won't wait for Mitchell to, I don't know, score 35 in the first game. They will, I think they will be very aggressive. They will put two on the ball and there are others to beat them. But the key here is, like you said, I think the key here in, to this defense, I think is Maxi because he was good in these games. He can switch his mobile so he can, and he's also very good on the weak side when they have to rotate and protect the rim or anything. Uh, so all these rotations behind. So I think in Bullock, Maxi, Dorian, these are the key, the three key defenders that they will need to play. So I hope that uh, Maxi is physically okay and also mentally that he will not be scared of the moment and uh, past shooting struggles that he had over the last two months. Man, it's really interesting. This is this is I'm I'm looking forward to this series though. Tim McMahon, this is pseudo breaking news i mean it's on a podcast i just haven't listened to yet uh, and i doubt you have either tim mcmahon on the hoop collective said i picked the jazz in six games the question is not whether luca will play in game one but whether he will play in the series the idea of him playing in the first two games would be absolutely shocking and frankly dangerous ah, i mean i hate to be you know that's rough that. yeah you hate to end the podcast on the taking the wind out of the sails thing but it's the sort of it's the sort of you know this is why you know you wrote your piece there's there's a possibility it, the mavericks can win some games in this series but they're they're facing an uphill battle it's just you can't replace a you know a 35 to 40 percent usage guy and expect yeah. things to be to be the same even though the jazz are probably the only team where you could look at a path. I mean, even like, I don't think Mavericks could play Denver. I, I would have picked like Denver in, you know, five games, but the Jazz are the one team where you can look at this and see a, a narrow path without Luca. So at least we have that going for us. Yeah, but like you said, not only 30% or 40% use it, you need to somehow compensate for just playing 30 points per game which is i mean all is, the statistics like like 28 <laughs> 9 and 9 like where are you getting this stuff somebody's got yeah, it yeah that, that's gonna be rough no no i think if i think they can survive if luca miss i don't know the first two games and they manage to get one but and even that's gonna be a challenge but if, if it's more than that i think we kind of underestimate the Jets. I think they're by net rating, they were like still the third best team. The, the, I mean, they're the number, the number one office, like part the number of one office, yeah, in the league. So they're a good team. They're not. They're not like walkover. No, we we disrespect them. Um, we disrespect them in no small part because of the fact that they've collapsed. But at a certain point in the season, like they were number one in the league for a yeah. while. But it, it's is, it's but, yeah, <laughs> they, like, they had a rough yeah. ending. But like I, that's I think at the end when I said okay, what they do need to do to win, I highlighted one piece in my uh, my my article, and that's also a little bit of luck on the three point shooting. You know, 
you remember last series, the Mavericks won against, let's say, a better team against the Clippers the first two games of the series because Steve Hardaway Jr. shot, I think, like 60% from free. <laughs> and, you know, so it's... it's And in this series, it's going to matter even more because Jazz is... Uh, Jazz uh, are the team that shoots the most threes in the NBA and Dallas is fifth. So there's going to be a lot of threes. And, you know, sometimes in a... Let's say in two-game sample size, it's this will matter. So hopefully, let's say... They made their threes, or at least in one of the games. It's not necessarily enough, but I think this is sometimes, like I said, if you have bad luck with injury, maybe they have good luck with the three-point shooting. Yep, yep, and we'll see. Well, this talk, this has been great. Thank you for taking some time out of your your Friday to talk to me, and hopefully, you know, we'll get to talk a little later in the series when we have some more data and stuff to talk about. All right. Yeah, and some wins. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, buddy. Here, have a good day, and everybody. This has been Mavs Moneyballs. Uh, Kirk, your enthusiasm. Uh, you know, we'll be back tomorrow with a lot of coverage. So come to the site, everybody. We will uh, talk to you soon, and have a good Friday. Hello, friends. Kirk Henderson again. You're still on uh, Kirk, your enthusiasm, and up next is Bobby Corrala. You all should know him from Mavs.com, from Studio Forty One, from the variety of podcasts this man is on he is the Mavs media maven doing a little bit of everything here and there and if you haven't checked out some of their some of their content lately you should go to the Mavs because they're really they're really turning into a a bit of a content factory themselves how you doing Bobby I'm good man I think you're the only person alive that's done more content than me this week so you and I are uh, you're a maven yourself but see, you've done some like real work, whereas I have simply just lamented about how annoying this is because yeah, you know, we... yeah, that's true, that's true. That, you, that's your specialty. <laughs> because we've dipped in, you know, it's not confirmed, but it is. We're inching closer to figuring out that that Luka Doncic is approaching the doubtful stage of playing in game one and potentially even game two, which are the first, you know, two home games of the series, the Mavericks versus Utah. That's okay. Pro, we've all sort of pro, we're processing our um, our feelings, and we are are on to move on to to talk about what we do and what we can know and what we can you know uh, uh, think about for this series. And you know, you've done you did a, a long, long podcast with with Mike Marshall uh, Machine, who who you know doesn't do as much stuff anymore, but is is as versed about basketball as anybody out in Mavs land. And you've done uh, this week, like a 15 minute kind of film breakdown. One of my favorite stuff you do is when you break down film. And I, I just wanted to sort of pick your brain today when you've been doing these, you know, kind of deep diving into all this stuff, what are some of, of the things that you're really looking forward to about this series? Well, reasons for optimism without Luca, is that kind of the, the direction you want to go first? Or sure. Why not Luca? Okay. Let's let's go so, without first. Okay. So without Luca, I still think, you know, on the perimeter, when the Mavs have the ball, I still think Dallas can create easy shots. Uh, if the Jazz play drop, and that's how they want to play. They want to drop. They want to ice you. They want to push you toward the sideline, keep you out of the middle of the lane. You know, Rudy Gobert can switch on the perimeter, and he can hold his own and everything, but. Utah does not want him doing that for 48 minutes a game. You know, you're going to get in foul trouble. You're going to wear yourself out over the course of a series. So if the Jazz play drop, the reason that I'm confident that the Mavs can still create easy shots is because Utah has one Royce O'Neal, 
who is awesome, you know, long guy, strong guy, can move his feet, can guard a variety of positions. But outside of that, you know, it's like six foot, six foot one, Mike Conley, six foot one, Donovan Mitchell, and then Bojan Bogdanovic, who's what, you know, six, seven, six, eight, but he's like 35 years old. And so, yeah. you know, O'Neal can only guard. I'm assuming if Luke is not playing, I'm assuming O'Neal's probably on Spencer Dinwiddie. I, I would just think so lengthwise it makes sense. But, you know, that means that it's either an older, slower guy in Bogdanovich guarding Jalen Brunson or a smaller guy. And, you know, Donovan is pretty thick, but so is Jalen. And, you know, we've seen now against the Clippers and throughout this season, you know, Jalen does not – he's not bothered by small guys. You know, length still kind of gives him some issues sometimes. But if you're a little guy, even if you're thick, he will still punish you, you know. Yeah. And, and so I think that, you know, even if – even if Luke is out, and this is the same if Luke is in, you know, because O'Neal will obviously be guarding Luca. You know, I think this is the series that Jalen needs to take a big, big, big step forward in and, uh, you know, average 20, 25 a game, something like that. The shots are going to be there. But, you know, I think the, the bigger concern, I guess, folding into that or, or stemming from that would be, you know, if Jalen starts beating them down, do they switch O'Neal onto Brunson or do they just start switching every pick and roll? And then all of a sudden, you know, you're closing off driving lanes and, and making life tough on him. So I think that at least for game one, Utah's not going to do any of that stuff. I think they're going to play their basic core stuff. And I think there's going to be a lot of points to be had for Jalen and for Dinwiddie. And then, you know, for the shooters, if they can start making shots, you know, if, if Jalen starts making shots, then it'll open things up for Dorian and Bullock and those guys. So, you know, I'm, I'm very, very optimistic about Jalen's chances at, you know, being a huge, huge player in the series. Well, and it's, I think it's fair to say, and correct me if you think I'm wrong here, this is really Jalen Brunson's first playoff series. Um, folks will, will may or may not remember, he didn't play in the bubble because the the Atlanta um, team cheap shot at him and he separated his shoulder. My guy, Dwayne Dedman, man. Yeah, Dwayne Dedman nearly killed him on a non-flagrant foul that was horrendous back in 2020. And then he played very minimally against the Clippers to the point to where, you know, the, the Mavericks were so concerned about controlling the pace in that series and they lost the lot, the non Luca minutes horrendously. Jalen was a part of that, but the, the, just like the, the Clippers were the perfect team to defend Luca. They were also the perfect team to defend Brunson and Brunson was simply, he simply had a different role. He had a different level of responsibility and he didn't get much of a chance to show himself. So I think this is, I think it's, it's, you know, it's not technically true, but this is kind of his first real chance to shine. Yeah. And I mean, last year, you know, he was kind of kicking their ass in the first couple of games of that series. And then in game three, when Ty Lu made the decision to basically bench Zubots and go small, he also made the decision to put Nick Batum on Brunson and like a seven, five wingspan or something. I mean, he's yeah. massive. Now, you know, Donovan, He's only six one. Did you know that Donovan Mitchell has a six ten wingspan? That's what made yeah. That's the the it was the separating point between him and and uh, Dennis Smith Jr. back in that draft where Dennis Smith had basically a neutral wingspan, <laughs> and then Donovan's Donovan, arms are like seven inches longer. <laughs> it's unbelievable. But you know, even though you know Mitchell still has a long wingspan, I I still think you know he's gonna try to not pick up fouls, and so I think like. Jalen will have way more room to create. And, yeah, you're definitely right. I mean, last year in that series, he was still coming off the bench at the time, and they didn't have, 
you know, I'm trying to think of who even their second unit was. I mean, Jalen basically only played the non-Luka minutes in that series. Mm -hmm. And so he was pretty much the initiator and also had to try and score. Like, he had to kind of do everything. And once they put Batum on him, I mean, it was just – it was it was too much to ask. I mean, it was a, that was that was a tough, tough, tough task for uh, for Jalen last year. So it's, it's interesting because I think, you know, pace in this series is going to be – like, this might be the closest approximation to 90s basketball – that we've seen. But then again, the Lucas Mavericks could in theory push a little bit because I just had a discussion with this talk where he informed me and I just didn't know this. I didn't know that the Jazz's transition defense is 23rd in the league. That's oh, wow. horrendous for the, I mean, yeah, they're I mean, sixth in the league overall defensively. Yeah, they want to defend, they want to have a set defense. You know, both these teams, both Dallas and Utah this year, our top 10 in points per possession against. So like, you know, top 10 defenses, whenever they have just scored a, a basket, made a shot, you know, they can get down the floor and get set. But, you know, so much of what Utah does depends on Gobert being there because they're perimeter guys. And, and this is the same for the bench. You know, Trent Forrest is pretty good. And, you know, Daniel House is all right. But like, you know, Jordan Clarkson is another small guy. You know, they just get beat on the perimeter so often. And so if Rudy's not in position, you can score, and especially if it's like Maxi or Bertans playing center, or if you go turbo, super turbo, like Josh Green at the five, if you're pushing it and Gobert's like huffing and puffing to get back, then you can kick it out to, for trailing threes. I mean, you can get early, early, early uh, looks that are very good, very wide open looks early in the shot clock. I need this. Um, so, yeah, put the pedal to the metal, man. I mean, and the, and the thing is, too, you know, now if, if Luke is out, if Luke is not playing or on the bench or whatever – Whoever gets the rebound, just collect the ball and just go. Yep. Get up the floor. Get your butt up the floor very quick. You don't need to try and, all right, everyone, slow down. Find Luca. All right, let's get in position. No, none of that. Like, just get the ball up the floor and then find Spencer or Brunson later on and just and let them go to work. It's kind of interesting because, yes, the, so the, the two teams split two and two, both wins at home for each side. But this is effectively a Mavericks team that the Jazz have never seen before because the Christmas Day game was a Kristaps Porzingis Brunson game, which was an not as it was kind of an ugly game. But, you know, the Mavericks held their own. They did OK. They just got beat by the team with more talent. This team, you know, with, with Dinwiddie and Luke or Dinwiddie and Brunson, they're not going to have really any tape except for the like the, the like the Rockets game so there's there's like an element of surprise that could come into play here where where hopefully the Mavericks can come out and really just sort of shock and awe the Jazz and and I you know I'm not it's funny our, our friend Josh Bow, he I'm kind of the only grumpier person than him yet he just <laughs> responded in our slack He's like, this team has melted my brain. I think the Mavericks can beat the Jazz in six without Luka, <laughs> which is just incredible if wow. you know Josh, because it's like there, there's just elements here where because of, of the combination of both like the data, the vibes, and the Jazz comments where if the Mavericks get a couple of metaphorical punches in, you could really see this going Dallas's way long enough to where let's say Luca has to miss three games and we're just making, I'm making this up. I know nothing. I don't like playing Matt, you know, Twitter doctor at stuff bores me, but if you could hold off long enough to where Luca could come back and play, there's still a path for them to go deep in the playoffs. Yeah, 100%. I mean, McMahon from uh, Tim McMahon from ESPN, he was on with follow on Damaris last week in studio for us. And McMahon said, 
you know, if, if Luka misses three games and the Mavs can win one of those three games, he still thinks the Mavs can and maybe even will win the series. You know, I think with Luka, overwhelming advantage Dallas in the series. But without him, you know, I'm, I'm with you. I think that Dallas can beat Utah at least once or twice over the course of, let's say, three or four games. Like, I, I bet you they could split. If they played four times, I bet you they would split. But, you know, I think in game one in particular, you know, what we've seen time and time again, you know, even if Luca's on the floor, if everybody else, if like the, the other guys, you know, the Finney Smiths and the Bullocks and all these guys, if they start like 0 for 3 or 1 for 5, then you start hesitating a little bit. You know, all right, I'm open, but like, am I really open? I've missed three in a row. Should I take this shot? Like, if you're thinking instead of playing, then that's really, really bad because time is money against Utah. I mean, every extra second that you take to make a decision gives Gobert an extra beat to get over and get in position and, and send your shot into the 19th row. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that they come out hot, you know, or even just not cold, I guess I should say. Like, yeah. shoot 45% in the first quarter. I'm loving it. People have confidence, you know, see the ball go through the net. Uh, because you're right. I mean, if, if you can, if you can hit Utah early, then they're going to press a little bit. You know, they're, they're, they've been struggling on the road for a couple months now, but if you start, you know, three for 19, even if Utah starts cold, you know, there's really no one to bail you out. There's no superstar to come in and just Luca can just take over the third quarter and turn a 10 point deficit into a 10 point lead. You know, so they, they need to start hot. They need to see the ball go through the net. And I like their chances against, Honestly, against anybody. I mean, dude, they almost beat Phoenix twice earlier this year without Luka and without a bunch of other guys, you know, playing playing 10-day guys off the bench. So I think they can beat anybody, that. but they – yeah, I mean, they just they just have to make some shots, though. You know, they have to make some shots. Well, the pressure's not on them because, you know, the narrative is something that I only like to dip into now and again, but they've been playing such – like like since – this is a crazy stat that his doc showed me. Uh, in the fourth quarter from since January 1st, the Jazz are a negative 6.2, something like that. Wow. Like they the just first quarter? Fourth quarter. Fourth quarter, so, okay. Watch time. They fall yeah. apart. And so there's just an element here of where the Mavericks have shown all year long that they can come back. And there's just got there's just like an existential element hanging over this because look if the Jazz don't play well this is done it might be done anyways and and I don't love talking about that sort of narrative stuff but you know I think the pressure is off these guys to go make some shots you know our, our buddy Jonathan Sharks has has said to me he said this to me three years ago he said the Dallas Mavericks are going to only go as far as Dorian Finney-Smith takes them we've not really mentioned Dorian in any of the previous podcasts I've done this week Dorian Finney-Smith is playing the best basketball of his career. He's playing like a man who is excited to play basketball and excited to have a brand new contract. And I am like secretly hoping that he becomes like the quiet superstar of this series because as his shot attempts have gone up over the year, the man is scoring points. Like Dorian Finney-Smith, bucket getter. It's lovely. I, I cannot wait to see what he does against this Jazz team. Is that crazy? No, no, not crazy at all. I mean, I think the big bummer about the play when Luka got hurt is the play right before that, and then also, like, seconds after Luka got hurt, Dorian made two really, really nice dribble drives off of closeouts and finished at the basket, and that's yep. kind of the thing. Uh, you know, he, against Milwaukee, made some really nice passes to Dwight Powell, too, 
And, you know, I think the Mavs are going to play Powell a lot in this series, I think. So Gobert will probably be on him and not on Finney. But regardless, you know, no matter whether he's on Finney or Powell, I think Finney Smith off the dribble is going – he's going to have to be dynamic with the ball in his hands because, you know, Jalen, yeah. Spencer, yeah. But if they can lock up one of those guys and if the other's struggling, you know, you have to create some other sort of dribble penetration from a different angle. You can't be predictable. Again, you got to keep Gobert's head on a swivel, and then all of a sudden, if he sees Finney Smith driving, then he's going to get over there, and, and he's going to leave Powell open. And I think, you know, because Bullock moves so much and stuff, I'm not sure who they put on Finney Smith. Maybe Donovan, you know, maybe Bogdanovich. But either way, you know, I think Finney can beat those guys off the dribble and finish over them at the rim. I mean, he's a he's a strong guy. He's fearless. So, you know, if, if he's knocking down shots, that's great. But I think if they want to win this series – He's going to have to make three, four, five, six, you know, plays the game off the bounce, whether it's finishing at the basket, yep. drawing a foul, or kicking it, you know, re, you know, resetting the offense, uh, finding guys in the corner, or dumping it off to Dwight at the, at the rim. I mean, if he can do that, then that is, that is a huge, huge, huge gift for them. Yeah, and, you know, not to, like, end on a bummer note, but I do want to point out, like, Mavs fans are, are, do not like Rudy Gobert. And as a result, have sort of leaned into this beating up on Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert might be the best defender, like in a basketball sense, on the planet still. Like, he's not going to win Defensive Player of the Year, but you line up his numbers against the other Defensive Player of the Year candidates, and he's just a world beater. He's incredible. And this is where his money gets made, is in these sorts of situations. There's a narrative that he gets played off the floor. It's not really true. He's vital, and he can frankly blot out the sun at a certain extent. And and it's it's going to be a real fun chess match to see what this Dallas Mavericks coaching staff is able to cook up to manufacture points and stops on both sides because you know you're replacing twenty eight nine and nine. And then you're all, but I, I will say I, I'm looking forward to what the Luca list group can do on defense. Uh, love me some Luca. He's been, he's played better defense this year, but he's still he's still kind of a neutral defender. Whereas I, I, some of the stuff this coaching staff cooked up without Luca when they were doing some stuff, it, that part can be fun. I don't know. I'm I maybe it's just the playoffs in me. Maybe I'm just feeling very bullish, and I don't know why. Like I think I've just accepted that Luca might not play some games, and I'm moving on from there. But I just I feel good. Is that is that too crazy? Like, it, it, does it disturb you that I'm happy? Like, what how does this feel? It is weird. It is weird. I don't know how to feel about it. But I think you know, the one thing that has been very impressive all season long, and even back to the beginning of the year, whenever it was ugly wins, and then it was a lot of losses, you know, with or without Luca. The one thing that's been very impressive about the coaching staff and the team from a, you know, strategic, like, day-to-day, game-to-game standpoint is they are willing to try stuff. You know, Rick was, like, a big tinkerer with rotations, but generally the style that they played was always pretty similar. I mean, they, they ran the same – they were running these, like, two-side fists, like, for literally 10 straight years. You know, they were running the same playbook. J-Kid has not only moved around the chess pieces, like, rotation-wise, but he also makes – huge adjustments to the offense and the defense in the middle of games, you know, and after losses or after wins or whatever, they're willing to try anything. And they're on a, you know, pretty big hot streak, like pretty much everything they try has worked. And so there's a lot of buy-in, there's a lot of confidence. And I think, you know, 
the fact that they have held their own a little bit without Luka, even if it's been against bad teams, you know, it took everything they had to beat the Kings. Uh, and it took, you know, a really, really good second half to beat the Rockets without him a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, these guys have confidence. You know, they're used to playing without him. They're used to having to step up and make big plays. Jalen Brunson is used to having to score 20 points to get a win. You know, nothing is going to be new for them. And so I think that is, that is huge because if you're doubting yourself, then how can you worry about what the other team is doing? You know, I mean, like you have yeah. to have confidence and rhythm and all that stuff. And frankly, you know, last season's team did not have enough of that. Luka needed guys to step up last season. They just couldn't do it. They didn't have the ammo to beat the Clippers at either end of the floor. And this year, you know, the defense is legit and, you know, not to take a shot at Luca or whatever, but if you're looking for a reason to be optimistic, you know, since Luca came back from injury, check out the Mavs defensive rating whenever he's off the floor. Like they're a Good. very, they're much worse offensively, of course. Sure. But they are a very good defensive team uh, since the all-star break or, or since January 2nd or whenever it's been, uh, whenever he's on the bench. And so, you know, this team has a legit defense. They've got legit role players that have a lot of confidence in themselves. And so, you know, it's a big bummer that against a beatable team, I think, you know, they might be without their best player for a little bit. But if this was last year, we would be burying them. We'd say, like, there's no shot. You know, yeah. this year we have a lot of reasons to be optimistic that they can at least hold serve until Luka comes back if he's going to miss time or whatever. Well, Bobby, this has been everything I could have hoped for and more. Thank you so much for taking time out of your Friday to talk with me. Thank you, Kirk. Let's hope that. Uh, I don't know. Let's hope tomorrow's just hey, good, I guess, or decent no, or fun. Tomorrow's going to be a great day. We're going to have fun. We're going to enjoy playoff basketball. And, you know, this is a silly thing just for me. I kind of love the fact that it's a day game now that I'm through being pissed at the NBA because you're an old man. My, I'm just an old man. Like the, the when these games take up like six hours of my night, by the end of it, I'm just like drained. So what we'll be able to do is watch this game finish out the rest of my day, then process the game later in the evening. And that I'll feel better about it then, but we'll see guys. This has been Kirk Henderson and Bobby Corrala go Mavs. And we'll talk to you a little later on Saturday.